just past six months old. Um, and uh, yeah. So if you equate that to kids, we're still in diapers. We're still making messes. Um, we are still trying to figure out um, that we can't eat our hand. I mean, so we're drooling and slobbering all over everything. So, um, but uh, I'm excited because God um, has brought an amazing uh, team of people around us that helped us launch this church. And today, the exciting thing is we expand that team. Um, today is our membership Sunday, and uh, we decided that uh, a team of people, 29 people launched Marine Creek, and uh, they set the bar high for us. And so we will, uh, we're going to honor that investment. Um, as, and so when we think of membership, it's uh, expanding that core and saying we're, we're going to get on board and we're going to continue moving this ministry down the field just the way they, they set for us in the beginning. So we're having that right after service. So I'm excited about that. Just, it's just milestones all over the place. So if you've got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 17. We're going to be in there and we're talking through our core values. This is the final Sunday of our core value series. And our core values um, line up with our mission. Our mission as a church, as a ministry, what we set out to do when God gave us the vision of, of a church in Marine Creek area and Saginaw, Lake Worth, Northwest Fort Worth, he gave us a vision and says, what I want you to do is I want you to go into the world and bring glory to me by the message of Jesus. And so that's our mission. We bring glory to God through lives changed by the message of Jesus. It's not how good we think we can be. It's not how, even how good of music we think we can put together. I'm not the greatest teacher. I'm not the funniest guy. Funny to look at, but not the funniest guy. I'm not the most engaging and entertaining. But we just believe that the message of Jesus can stand on its own. And when we communicate the truth of God's word without getting our junk in the way, people will want to worship Jesus because they see Jesus for who he is. And they don't see him through my filter or your filter or a filter of someone who wants to bring religion into an area. Um, Jesus was very clear on what he thought of the religious people. Um, his pet name for them, by the way, was hypocrites. I don't want to be an, on Jesus' pet name list. I want to be on his good list, okay? Um, and so our mission is to glorify God through lives changed by the message of Jesus. We do that. We came up with core values on how do we, how do we work this mission. I mean, the mission set before us, so then we got to get into plans and strategic areas that this mission is going to be accomplished. The first of which is truth. I said we teach the truth of Scripture. Um, truth hurts. It hurts me. Uh, God convicts me through the truth of Scripture. Remember, Jesus said, "Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, Father." And so I have to submit myself to that same truth as well. Um, I believe that if you see the truth of Jesus, it leads to the next value, which is worship, is that you will tell him how special he is in our life. And we begin to worship individually and as a community. And then and when we collectively come together and worship, then that leads into the third value, value which is community. We are bond by, by the blood of Jesus. We become family, and we are a body. We are a church. Church is not just a corporate entity, okay? A church is a body. It has many parts, and we function as a body. And when one hurts, the whole body hurts. I stubbed my toe the other day, and my hand didn't tell my foot to get over it. I mean, my, my hand was hurting. My stomach was hurting. I have this weird thing, this connection between my toe and my stomach, that if I stub my toe hard enough, I, I tell Heather, like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. You know, and we're a body. So when one hurts, we all hurt. When one's happy, we're all happy. So, I mean, when my, when my head is just like, 
breathing clear, Claritin clear, I guess. My whole body is rejoicing because they're like, yes, we get the oxygen we need. This is greatness. And um, so that leads to community. And community leads to missional living because it means we begin to live out this message of Jesus. We begin to live out this, this life that Jesus not only told us about, but actually stepped onto earth and modeled for us. And we, everything we do becomes about the mission of Jesus. It becomes about making Jesus very clear to the world around us. It becomes about loving people as we love ourselves and, and beginning to live this life that reflects God and brings glory to God. And people's lives are changed based on us living that. So everything we do is mission-oriented as a church. When we look at ministries, how does this ministry line up with our vision? with our mission. Does it fit? And it's not that we have to look at ministries and say, oh, that's a bad ministry or that's a good ministry. It comes down to the decision of of God, what is the best ministry that we can implement at this time? I mean, honestly, I would love, there's there's pages and pages and pages of ministries that I would like to see in this area, much less when we come together collectively and say, here's some ministries that we would like to see. But we have to make decisions based on, first of all, is this the mission God has set before us? And is this the best way for us to then move as a community to impact change? Our mission is to bring people to Jesus, not just get them out of hell. I'm so, uh, I, I think I grew up in that generation of preaching hellfire and brimstone, where, you know, we would have a podium the size of this stage made of wood, very ornate. And it would have this hollow chamber on it. So when I hit it, man, it would just echo and boom. So I could be like, and Jesus said, you know, I I would want to dub it. So it's like, and Jesus said, you know, I don't don't know. Now we're getting off. But but our mission isn't to get people out of hell. Our mission and we love people and we want to connect them with Jesus because we love God. You see, I love God so much that it transforms how I love you. There are some people that I can only love through the power of God. And I know I'm not alone in that. And so because of my love for God, I love you and don't just want to see you saved from hell, but I want to see you connected and living this life that God has created you to live, that God has created us to live. And our mission becomes about that. It becomes about really bringing back to God what he's already paid for. Two weeks ago, before Heather went out of town, I got this great idea. Um, I needed to replace the brakes on my truck. And before she left, I went on Amazon, because that was the cheapest place to get them. And I ordered these, and we have this Amazon Prime, and we got free two-day shipping. I'm like, that's beautiful. She's going to be out of town. I'll pull mine in the garage. I'll take it apart, and I can take my time with it. I'm not mechanically inclined, but I can take my time with it, take the rotors where they need to go. I'll drive Heather's car in the process. I get so busy and sidetracked while Heather's gone that I realize my brakes have never come, and and I realize I didn't have time to do it anyway. I mean, I, my, my, I had one child, and she she had me running all over the world. And and then I have to cook dinner in, in the middle of this. <laughs> um, but I realized they never came. And so I go on to Amazon.com. My credit card had been charged. It says they've shipped. 
and I had free two-day shipping. We're 12 days past the two-day time, and I don't have any breaks. And so I call Amazon and say, I, don't, I never got these. And so they send me more, and I end up now with two boxes of breaks. I don't know how I've got to send one back. But I paid for those breaks, and I want them back. I want them to me. And so when you think about our mission as a church, Jesus paid for us. And our job isn't to go and determine, are you worthy of the value that Jesus paid? Our job is not to get in the way to say, in order for you uh, to come back to Jesus, here's the hoops we want you to come through. The FedEx and UPS guy can't put hoops on how Amazon ships their stuff to me. We as a church are not going to put hoops and obstacles in the way on how people can enter a relationship with Jesus. The scripture is very clear. That it's through faith, by grace, period. You don't work your way into it. You don't beg your way into it. It's by grace and faith. And honestly, we as, as people think that's way too simple. So we've developed through religion different hoops that we put in the way. And I call that religiosity. And as you get to know me and you've known me for a while, I do not like that. That bothers me. And our mission is not to put obstacles and hoops in the way. And we're going to look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, just shortly after his conversion, began to go on missionary journeys. And when you think of us missional living and this mission as a church, think of, think of this. Take on the mentality of a missionary. A missionary goes into culture and submerses themselves into culture. They love people. They know people. They get, they're moving through culture, but they're there to engage it and impact it for the gospel. They're not jerks. They're not Bible thumpers. They get in and move and let God lead them to love people. And it's the love of God working through them that brings people into that relationship. And so we're going to look at Paul. Go to Acts chapter 17. And we've got a note sheet here if you want. It's on the back of our, our announcements and you can follow along. I went light on you on the fill-ins this week. Uh, we're going to start in verse 16. This is when Paul goes into Athens. Now, Athens is, a, is an amazing area, amazing town. I grew up in Athens. Um, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's a small town in West Virginia. Um, I couldn't tell you the population. It has a stop, or had a stoplight when I grew up there. But uh, Paul went to Athens, different Athens. It's in Rome, by the way. Um, I worked hard on that joke, honestly. I mean, I had to be born at the right time, at the right place, so that I could use that joke today. I mean, think about the work that went into that one. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Um, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day and with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know this new teaching that, that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. And I love what Luke writes here. Luke wrote Acts. He puts this in parentheses. Verse 21, All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. 
How many of you spend a lot of time on online listening to the greatest ideas? What is it, TED.org or TED.com? Um, about all the technic- technologically advanced machines that we have. Um, I spend a lot of time on YouTube, honestly, watching kids do funny things and, and laughing. Um, but it's interesting. If you think about Paul, this is his journey into Athens, and he steps into this city. And you know, we as a church are called to minister to this area, but it's also each of us individually doing our part. And so as Paul walks into Athens, let me just kind of paint a picture of what he sees. He walks in, and this is where this is where the, the center of life would be at this point in time and in history. You've got the Colosseum not far off, the Parthenon. And as he walks in, there's these massive buildings, these massive structures that were created and designed and built to honor the gods that they served. And so Paul is walking into a city, and he's walking amongst the shadows of, of buildings and idols and temples built to false gods. If you think about it, we're the same way. I mean, we walk through life amidst the shadows of temples and shrines built to false gods. We can go down the highway and see the temple of BMW, the temple of Lexus, the temple of Toyota, if if that so tickles your fancy. Um, we go down another road, we see the temple of Chili's, the temple of Applebee's, the temple, uh, you know, so it goes on and on. Heather and I have been looking for houses and looking at houses in the areas. We see temples built to me, temples built to you, you know. And so Paul's walking around and moving amidst this, and I'm not, I'm not beating and hating on us for liking our stuff, but it's a difference when you place that as the God. And so he walks into, honestly, a very religiously charged, a very, quote, spiritual atmosphere. And an atmosphere where knowledge and the quest for knowledge were key to their society. And Paul's moving around this, and he steps in to their society, and he begins to reason with them. He's distressed about what he sees, but he begins to reason with them, and he shares the message of Jesus. Now, Paul had training in Greek philosophy. If you go back and read Paul's resume in Scripture, he was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had training in Greek philosophy. So he knew how to engage this culture. And he steps in and Greek thought and philosophy was at the front of everything they wanted to do. And understand this. God sent the right person to Athens that night. God always sends the right person. And what we have to understand is that God has equipped us and is sending us and has chosen us as the right person for a time and place such as this. You work in your office. You are the right person. You are in the family you are in, and you are the right person. You are in the school you are in, the classes you are in, and you are the right person. And God has called you and created you set you for this time to be the right person. And Paul steps into this. And the thing that we've got to understand is we've got to know our culture. We've got to know that we are the right person, but it's it's a, it's one thing for Paul to know he's the right person to walk in and not know the culture he's teaching to or asked to love and live amongst. And we have to understand we get involved with the culture. It says Paul was distressed 
this distress, this word, it means he was roused, he was moved, he was moved to action. The old, the old school pastors, you know, if they were beaten on the podium, they would call it a burden. You know, they're like, Paul had a burden for Athens. You know, and it would be the booming voice. Like, just like, we've got a burden. You know, Paul was moved. This distress moved him to action. It moved him to, to engage. And distress should move us to reason. It says Paul reasoned with the, the people in the synagogues and the God-fearing Jews and the Greeks. But then he went out into the marketplace and he engaged the, the Epicureans and the, the Stoics. The Epicureans had this belief in the day that the absence of, of pain and, ha- and the, the pleasure that we bring into the life is ultimate good. They were all about living for the day. No pain, all gain. And then there was the Stoics. The Stoics were known for their harsh view of reality. We've heard, we've heard the expression, you know, he was a very stoic person. It's they're very cold towards reality. And they, they really say we, it's just life is just a harsh reality. You deal with it, you live in it. And he begins to reason with these guys. He didn't just go to the safety of the temple and start having God talk. He starts, his distress moves him to reason with the people who have different views. And distress should lead us to reason, not to anger. See, when we get angry, when distress leads us to anger, it means we have a soapbox and we have this, this pride that says, I have to be right. If Paul's distress led him to anger, he would go before the Epicureans and the Stoics and honestly make a fool of himself because he would feel he would have to be right and not love and not begin to reason. We can reason without an argument and we can reason in love. That's what Paul's doing right here. They called him a babbler. The interesting thing, babbler, the, the Greek word for that is spermologos. And it meant someone who walked around the marketplace and they basically picked up seeds of knowledge and then they began to spew them back out as though they knew them. Um, they would basically pick up the table scraps of wisdom and knowledge because that's what, remember what Luke said, that's all they like to talk about. And so they would walk around the marketplace and they would listen in on this conversation and they would go over and listen in on this conversation and then they would be in, end up in another conversation and take those pieces and put them together and they would have no idea what they were talking about. And so that's what these people look for. What is this babbler saying? What, he's talking and he's just saying all this stuff. But your stuff is interesting, so we would like to bring you to the Oropagus so that we can hear more about this babble of which you speak. And Paul was preaching Jesus. And the interesting thing is Paul didn't start changing his message based on who he got to talk to. The message stayed the same. And so um, let's go on and read about his time at the Areopagus. Start uh, again in verse 22, and we'll go through verse 23. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Paul was very respectful. If you go back and look at this, he says, I can see that you're very religious. I can see there's a connection here to spirituality. And he was being respectful of their culture. I mean, he didn't walk in and go, 
you're a bunch of heathens and you're going to go to hell because you don't worship the one true God. You need to understand something. You need to tear those buildings down and you need to put up a cross or, or some symbol. You need to put a Bible store on the corner. There needs to be a life way where that, that God is standing. You know who, who stood before the Oropagus about 400 years earlier and wasn't respectful? Socrates. Socrates had the same audience that Paul now has. Different, different people, but the same Oropagus. And he was disrespectful, and they said, Here, take a drink of this, Socrates. And he was no longer. And so I'm sure Paul knew this. So he's like, hmm, I'm going into the... If they offer you anything to drink, don't take it. Um, but be respectful. Too many times we see the name of Jesus blurred by the disrespect of his followers. And it's very frustrating. There are so many times and so many places I wish I could just go on TV or go into the newspaper and say, on behalf of Christians, I'm sorry. Donald Miller wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz, and he did something on a college campus. They set up a confessional booth. And what I loved about it is people came into the confessional booth, most of them were high, the majority of them were drunk, and this was during the, a weekend where, honestly, on this campus, I can't remember the college, but most of the, the security and faculty leave because it's that crazy. And they set up this confessional booth, and as people would come in, mostly to mock and make fun, the people inside of this confession booth began to say, this isn't for you to confess to us. This is for us as somebody who follows Jesus to apologize this is for somebody who represents a God who loves you to apologize for us getting in the way of his love and message. I think that's an ultimate show of respect. And I think we need to respect the people we're called to love because we live with them. And so respect is based in humility and not arrogance. I love this when Paul says that if you even have an altar to an unknown God, the interesting thing is in this time, there was a lot of plagues and earthquakes going on, and it, that, that really drove to them becoming very re- religious and spiritual. And they were worried that because these plagues and earthquakes and natural disasters kept happening, that they hadn't covered all of the gods. And so to appease whichever god they feel like they might have missed, they built this altar to an unknown god. And they thought, well, this will catch them all. So we've got the God of fertility, the God of love, the God of romance, the God of water, the God of grain, the God of the moon, the God of the sun. Now, have we gotten them all? I don't know. It's kind of like trying to make a grocery list when your wife's out of town. And you get to the store and you go, we didn't get everything on the list. So they go, well, let's just do this. Somebody steps up. I got an idea. Let's do a catch-all God. Well, what's his name? I don't know. Just say unknown God. And we'll worship an unknown God so that maybe we'll catch everything. And then the interesting thing here is is the government then enacted and made into law, you could not add any more gods because they were beginning to, to move in and the Caesars were coming in to take over and Rome and Greece were starting to, to deal with a lot of the things that they were dealing with in their history. And so they said, we don't want to take on any other, any other false gods. So let's make a law. No more gods, period. Boom, done, sealed it. And anyone who tries to bring in this new god we can stone, or we can crucify, or we can kill. And so what happens 
is Paul understands this. The people of the Oropagus understand this because they hear him babbling and he's speaking to this Jesus. They're like, wait, wait he, he's trying to bring a new God in. Let's listen and find out if he's trying to bring a new God in. If he is, let's deal with this. And so Paul begins this very respectful conversation but says, that which you worship as an unknown God, I'm going to put a name to you. And I'm going to begin to teach you and reason with the truth of this unknown God. And Paul begins to very beautifully move into this. Let's read on. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men may would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And he begins to reason and say, this God which you claim as unknown, I now bring as known. And he begins to speak truth. In that time, Paul could quote scripture. I mean, Paul had scripture memorized, the entire Old Testament. I mean, he could just spout it off. And not just mem- not just spout it from memory, but could have active, engaging conversations about what scripture they're talking about. And it's interesting, as Paul's standing before this Oropagus, he is not quoting scripture. He is not saying, well, in the book of Psalms, well, in Leviticus, it's, you know, in Exodus, he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. No. Paul is preaching scripture instead of quoting it. I hear people say, well, I wish I could talk to people in my office more, but I just don't know enough scripture. And they ask me, and I don't know where it's at. Paul began to speak truth. And so when he knows his culture, he's respectful of the culture, and then he brings truth. And he brings truth with respect. He didn't quote scripture, he preached it. And the way he could preach it is not because he had it in here, because he had it in here. Because his life had been so transformed. On a road to Damascus, on the way to execute the people he is now trying to minister and make Christians, he, began to, he was going to execute Christians. And then God gets a hold of him, transforms him, and now he is preaching this God that he was opposing. Out of that transformation comes an amazing ability to speak transformation. And he begins to engage the culture with truth. The interesting thing is Paul goes through this. He's, he's answering questions that the philosophers were actually asking. Where is God? Who is God? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And in this passage, he says that God created you and gave you breath. And he is not, he is not con- confined to a temple that we can build. He gave you breath. He set the time and date and circumstance for you to exist. Well, why did God do that? So that men may reach out to him and find him. So that he can use you in his mission of reconciliation to his creation. And Paul even begins to use their own poetry to bring in his point. In verse 29, he says this, 
you know, he said, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. What he's saying in his reasoning is if we are his offspring, if we are God's offspring, he cannot be ours. If God made us, then we can't make him. And if, if we're God's offspring, then God, this God can't be made of stone or gold or silver or metal. This God has to have flesh and bone and blood and love and emotions and feelings. That this God is spiritual, physical, and emotional. Because as your own poets have said, we're his offspring. And those poets are correct. But God makes us in his image. And he begins to reason. And then this is what he says in 30 and 31. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of all of this to all men by raising him from the dead. He begins to preach Jesus. And he said, God is patient. And he has been patient. But now is a time to repent. And Paul's not just pointing a finger and saying, you need to repent. He lumps himself into that and says, all men. He said, I need to repent just as much. I think instead of engaging our culture and saying you're a sinner, I think we embrace our culture and say we're sinners. Me too. And I think if we spend time repenting of our sin, I think that's a great witness. And what Paul is calling the people of Athens to repent to, it's funny, he's saying repent of your repentance because they were building idols the false gods and, and gods that they would follow and that they would make with their own hands in repentance to keep them in good graces to keep to keep evil at bay to keep the natural disasters from coming in and Paul saying wait wait, wait repent from your repentance stop using these modes to repent it is about faith it is about grace says all people. Let's see what the outcome was after this reasoning. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. When we live the mission of God, when we embrace our culture and engage our culture and we're respectful and we speak truth, really there's going to be some responses. There's going to be those who are, are critics that will sneer and say, I just, I just, I don't get it. It's not going to happen. I don't, I don't believe that, that that works for you, but man, I, I just, how can a loving God dot, dot, dot? And we still love and show respect to a critic. There are some that are curious, and they say, you know, I don't, I, I, I see that's working for you, but I, I just don't know. And maybe I need to, maybe I need to think about this. Maybe, maybe I've got some questions. How about we talk about this? And those are the curious ones. And then the third response are some become Christians. A Christian is someone who follows Christ, who has been so transformed by the love and message and life of Jesus. 
they say I want to follow him with my life. Dionysius, by the way, became the first bishop of Athens. So you never know who God is going to use you to reach out to. You never know who God is going to use you to touch and to reach. And if we don't live missionally and we don't do it respectfully and with love, we end up closing doors. Let me tell you, we are accountable to deliver truth. We're not accountable to control the reaction. If you've ever sat with me in any type of advice session, or what should I do, or how should I handle this, you know I'm going to tell you all you are accountable for is to make sure that you handle the situation in love and truth, and regardless of how the other person reacts or responds, you have to be able to walk away and say, you know what, God got glory by how I handle that. And you are responsible for the truth. That's what you will be accountable for. Not how they react and how if they react according to how you want them to react. And so we're going to be a community of people that lives with this mission to glorify God. We're going to do it in love. And we're embracing our culture. I love this area. I love it. And I'm embracing it. I love the, the few restaurants we have. I love the people. And I'm, in, I'm, I'm in this culture. I love it. But I'm in it for a purpose. I'm in it my whole life is in it for a purpose. Because I love God with all of my heart. Um, so let me challenge you with this this week. Um, spend some time, some quiet time, and focus on the mission. And do your part. Because we're all collective, we're all body, we all have a part, we all have a responsibility. So let's let's join in this mission. Let's pray. Father, we love you, we thank you for not just saving us, but for giving us purpose, for giving us a desire to see our lives count, to see your life count. And Father, as we spend time together this week and spend time in your word individually. We ask that you help focus us on the mission that you've put before us. And Father, we love you. We thank you. Help us. Help us to reason and not argue. And Father, help us when we are presented, honestly, with when we present truth and we're presented with the truth of how we have marred uh, this image of Christ, how we as the church have uh, contributed to the name of Jesus being drugged through the mud. Help us to respond with humility and repentance. Say, you know, I, I apologize. God, when we wrong you, help us to be quick to repent. Father, help us to understand that you love us so much and you desire a relationship with every one of your kids. And Father, help us not to just try to push converts the relationship. God, help us not to just grab someone's hand and run them and push them to Jesus your dad. 
Father, help us to build a relationship with them and their Father. Father, we thank you for counting us in spite of our failures and faults as worthy to carry the message of Jesus to people around us that so desperately Father, that need to be broken out of the bondage and oppression of mediocrity and just the, the life of existence. And Father, I know it's easy for us even to, to follow you and put our faith and trust and hope in you and have a relationship. It's easy for us to fall into to those same snares. Would you give us hope? us out of the bondage, despair, mediocrity, oppression. Help us to live to the identity you've given us. Help us to live with your mission at the center of our heart, our life, and our focus. We love you and thank you so much.